Welcome everyone to episode 193 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Liam Tower and Jamie Barton as we discuss the biggest tactical questions facing Liverpool's next manager. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, obviously it's been a couple of weeks now, I think, since Jurgen Klopp announced that he was going to be stepping down as Liverpool manager at the end of the season. Since then, it's been pretty breathless, the schedule for Liverpool. So, we've been focusing on, on the matches that's you know been taking place, having obviously done our sort of immediate reaction. It was myself and Jamie um, who jumped on immediately after the news broke. Um, but now that we have a, a rare midweek off, um, it gives us a chance to sort of pause and reflect a little bit more. So I was thinking, what is the best way for us to kind of come at this discussion that you know hasn't you know been repeated extensively elsewhere? And it might seem strange to look at the entry of the new manager while we're still three and a half months away from the end of Jurgen Klopp's final season at the club, while Liverpool are still competing for four trophies, but. What we have to consider is the next manager, be it Xabi Alonso, Roberto De Zerbi, Ruben Amarim, whoever it might be, they're probably going to be getting interviewed or certainly holding some initial discussions over the next few months. So these questions that we're going to discuss today are going to be key things that are coming up in terms of their vision for the team. So what I've done is I've picked out three players who I think could face particularly significant role changes once the new manager comes in. And we're going to have a look at where their long-term future might lie within this side. And we're going to start with probably the most interesting of them, I'd say, in Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, I'll come to you firstly. And we've seen Trent used as a basically hybrid midfielder this season, um, right back out of possession, midfielder in possession. We've seen him pop up as a deeper midfielder and advanced number eight at times within games. But the only other manager who's taken charge of Trent in his entire senior career, Gareth Southgate, has now elected to use him oftentimes as a full-time midfielder. So there has to be a pretty strong chance, doesn't it, that the days of Trent playing as a right-back are going to be over when Liverpool's new manager comes in. Yeah, I definitely think so, David. Um, <clears throat> I think we've seen, certainly over the last maybe 10 months or so since that Arsenal game um, last Easter, that... That, that Trent definitely seems better. They're getting more out of his qualities. Like they're getting more out of his best qualities when he's played in that, that hybrid position. And like he's definitely having more of an influence on games. I think, and like I saw, I saw, I saw being mentioned during the week. And I forget who it was I mentioned it now, but I think then the valid point that even him getting the vice captaincy in addition to getting the, the hybrid role has seen him. They take on more responsibility as well. He popped up with you know, some decisive late goals this season. You think of like the City game away, you think of like the winner against Fulham. Um, you kind of wonder what those have happened if you know, he had been constricted to you know, play, playing in, in a wider position. Um, and the other factor which I think could, could lead to Trent making a, a more permanent um, transition to being a fully fledged midfielder over the last um, month or so. Again, we, are, we can be a little hasty, I think, sometimes in talking up young players, Joe, for fear that their form turns out to be nothing more than a flash in the pan um, and that they, you know, that they don't really build upon their initial promise. But I think from Everton, everything that we have seen 
out of Conor Bradley over the last few games, like month or so, and even prior to that, because I made the point that he actually, when when he got his break in the team, he'd actually had more senior experience than Trent did when he got his breakthrough in that game against Man United seven years ago. And um, so, it's definitely if they. It, considering the, the progression of the two players that I've mentioned there, I wouldn't be surprised if York and Cop's successor decided, okay, I'm going to go with Conor Bradley as my go-to right back um, and like, play Trent maybe always at, at the base of midfield or wherever it may be. Um, again, that Because again, that gives you greater rotation to rotate between midfielders, like even from one game to the next or even within a match. Yeah, I mean, if we think back to that Bradley performance against Chelsea, um, I think it was one goal, two assists. Um, it's hard to sort of see a performance of that quality. Um, genuinely kind of one of the, the standout individual displays of the season for a young player of the entire Klopp era. It's hard to sort of see somebody play that well and not think that they're destined for you know big things within the game. And we don't know, obviously, <clears throat> if they're going to be big things at Liverpool, you know, in, in Trent's shadow, or or is it going to be, you know, that he has to go somewhere else? Um, and that was the point I was going to pick up on with you, Jamie, really, was, you know, the Connor Bradley side of things and how that kind of facilitates um, Trent moving in there permanently. Um, so, so a couple of sort of further questions on that then. I mean, if Trent was to move into midfield. Obviously, there's a couple of different roles he could play. Who, who do you think would be the one sacrifice, first of all? And and secondary to that, do you think the least likely outcome in all of this is that Trent actually ends up going back to a full-time right-back position, which seems like a mad thing to, to say 12 months ago, but it feels like those days now, regardless of who's in charge, are going to be over. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer your second question first, because I think... I think that's really, really particularly interesting. I think we're in a strange position now where it would almost be a risk, I think, for a new manager to, to move him back to that right-back position. Look, um, he, 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 um, we don't need to wax lyrical about Trent Alexander-Arnold at right-back. We, we all know what he's been for this club. But I think he, it seems to me very clear that he wants to be in midfield now. Whenever you see him talking about his role in interviews, he's never quite said... I'm a midfielder, but he hasn't kind of gone too far off saying that. And obviously under Klopp, who's brought him through him, but his only club manager, he's always going to respect Klopp's decision. But he's a very important part in the squad now. I mean, he's the vice captain. He's, what, 25. He's, he's, he's fairly outspoken sometimes. You wonder whether, it obviously depends on who comes in. If they try and put him at right back, whether he's kind of a bit concerned about that and he doesn't see he's kind of moving into the the kind of prime years you'd imagine of his career right now you'd think that maybe it is more of a risk for a new manager to say you know carry on at right back you're doing a great job there when he clearly wants to play in midfield um in terms of who you sacrifice if he does move inside i know we're going to get on to talk about alexis McAllister a bit later on but you have to imagine that it's whoever is kind of our number six that 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 is the one who's probably given up. Maybe Trent moves further forward onto an eight, but whenever we've seen him kind of come inside this season, it's it's been primarily as that one holding midfielder. And you're, the the new manager might end up trying to use a, a kind of a double pivot and have him alongside McAllister. 
but certainly that that number six, so that's that's McAllister or Endo, you'd imagine are the ones who have to give up their place. And it might not be that they give up the place. As I say, it might be that they move further forward, particularly in McAllister's case. It might be that both of them sit, so Trent plus one sit sit in front of the defence. Um, but you have to imagine that it's that position that is the one that's affected. Yeah, I mean, that was the point I was going to make, really, was that I think if, if you do have Trent in a deep midfield role, you need basically kind of a number eight slash number six figure alongside him, someone who can kind of cover that space in behind him. Because one thing with kind of giving labels to Trent is that, and again, will the new manager do this as well? I would have thought they probably would, given the, the unique talent they have on their hands. But the thing with the labels is Trent, I think, largely has the freedom to basically go wherever, when Liverpool have the ball, go wherever he wants, where he can sort of impact the game the most. One of the things that was a bit frustrating watching the game against Arsenal last weekend was that it kind of felt like he was maybe told to stay wide a little bit more and not invert as much. And it just felt like he was completely sidelined in more ways than one um, through that particular change with Gomez, obviously doing a lot of the inverting as well. Um, interestingly, you know, we'll see whether the the inverted fullbacks. We know that it, it's quite a big tactical trend in football at the moment. Um, would that just be ditched completely if if Trent was in midfield full time? And um, we'd obviously have to see. But I just think that because he has so much freedom, because I think he'll continue to get so much freedom to go and impact the game wherever he can sort of see the weakness in the opposition. Then you can't have him as sort of the defensive number six, if that makes sense. You need someone there to be the firefighter as well. Can Alexis McAllister do that? Um, you know, maybe in tandem with Sabasly. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and that kind of brings us into, I suppose, the next aspect of this. Because I, I think, Liam, that Alexis McAllister has been absolutely brilliant um, since the new year, since he came back from his injury. There's been times in this podcast where, where I've, I've criticised him in terms of, you know, not being able, even out of position, to deliver the kind of performances and that we might have expected when we signed him. But I just think that to his credit, you know, he needed time to adapt and the signs that he's doing that now when he's playing, I think with much more um, aggression, he's kind of, his positioning's better. He's not being caught out as often and he's much better on the ball too in terms of keeping it and also still adding kind of value with progressing it. But in spite of all of that, he isn't, you know, a specialist, uh, natural born number six as Jürgen Klopp would put it. So there has to be a decent chance then that the next manager wants their own sort of Fabinho style signing who costs 40, 50 million and can be kind of that out and out defensive midfielder as well. So, I mean, that's another huge aspect of this, isn't it? Yeah, I think quite possibly. Um, again, that, <clears throat> that probably could hinge a lot on the identity of the new manager, what their philosophy is. Or do they see, or do they kind of see <coughs> of going in just that one specialist number six just to, to hold the fort, or do they go with a with a double double pivot? Um, obviously, depend uh, that would depend then on as they they might want to find the right player to suit that particular system. So I suppose there's probably still a lot of unknowns in in that. Um, regarding McAllister, I can. Maybe see him being one of these players who doesn't really get pigeonholed into a particular role as such. I very much agree with you, David, in that he has grown immensely into the what we call it, the number six position at Liverpool since the start of the season. And um, 
I suppose it wasn't maybe his most familiar role, certainly at Brighton, um, but maybe he needed, as you say, those few months just to adapt to the sort of the demands of Jurgen Klopp of playing in, in that position within the team. And now that he seems to have done that, his influence has grown and grown um, immensely over the last few weeks or so. Um, you know, I suppose in terms of the short term, it's probably a case of like if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Longer term, again, there's a lot of variables. Who would the new manager be? What would be their philosophy? Do they want to bring in their own players to, to suit that philosophy? Would it be like a, a, a specialist number six or would it be someone that can play you know, as, part of it, as part of a double act? Um, the caster could be one of those who maybe role might uh, um, adapt quite a bit. So depending on you know, the circumstance, the opposition, who is available, um, like we've known that you know, he can play in a variety of different positions. I mean, Deserby had him playing a bit further forward at Brighton last year to great effect. He got like 12 goals from that season. Um, I suppose now that he's been in a bit more strong position for us, that probably has had an impact on his goal scoring ability. Like he still only has the, that one, albeit a cracker of a one against Fulham. So, um, yeah, it's probably difficult to forecast right now. Um, but I think depending on who the new manager is, I think there's a distinct possibility that they will like maybe like to bring in their own um, player for that role. And as for the effect that might have McAllister, I think he could become almost like the midfield version of Joe Gomez in a way of if he could go from you know playing from a six one week to a ten the next to a, to an eight, depending on the the circumstance and as I said, depending on which other players are available. Yeah, I think that's a really good shout to be fair, because you know as you allude to, I think he does have the the skill set to sort of carry out all of those roles. Maybe and um, people opinions would differ on where he's actually best within that setup, but. It is obviously a very useful asset for a manager. I mean, obviously one thing to kind of stress here, which I don't know if I've said already, is that like obviously we don't know what formation the new manager is going to play. I mean, most managers play 4-3-3 these days, but, you know, does there be, he changes, as far as I know, he changes the formation sort of every week, really. And it's very hard to, to pin it down because it's, it's very much kind of defined by the opposition that he's facing. So, you know, if he was to come in, you know, would that be the approach you took with a squad of the colour of Liverpool or is that just a Brighton-specific thing? Likewise, you know, Xabi Alonso has been playing a back three with, with wing-backs. Frimpong and Grimaldo have been absolutely unbelievable this season with, with their levels of output. Um, would he try and do that at Liverpool? Is that somewhere maybe Trent Alexander-Arnold crops up and could actually be really effective with quite a lot of positional freedom? Obviously, it would probably suit Andy Robertson as well. But again, is that just because that's the best way to you know, get it out of that squad. Is that not sort of a tactical identity he's married to? There's loads of, like, elements within this, which is why I was sort of so keen for us to discuss it, really. I mean, even you mentioned there, in terms of, would you want someone to compliment McAllister? You know, Deserby gets mentioned quite a bit as a candidate. I don't think he's going to be the one who gets the job in the end. But if he came in and he was managing McAllister again, then he's already shown that he'd want kind of that Caicedo figure alongside him, even if he was going to play in a deeper position to do some of, um, the dirty work in inverted commas as well. So obviously there's difference in philosophy there. Um, bring you in now, Jamie. When when we were talking about Trent, we just kind of had like an overview of the different roles he might play. But I'll ask you what what you would do in the case of McAllister. You know, if it if you were the one you know coming in um, on, on the first of July, 
and you had to kind of construct this, you know, squad for your first season in charge, would you be wanting to bring in this sort of expensive number six on the evidence you've seen so far? Or is it the case that McAllister has been really good recently? We need to see if he keeps this up until the end of the season and then decides it's still a bit up in the air at the moment. So tricky, isn't it? I don't envy whoever's whoever's coming in, other, other than the fact that they get to manage Liverpool Football Club. That's not so bad. But in terms of making the decisions, yeah. It, it, I think, to me, it really just depends, and this is exactly what you just touched on, it really just depends on what formation you're going with. I think if we were to continue with a similar system to the to the one we're using now, let's say Parallel Universe, where Linders does step in. Obviously, we know that's not happening. But let's say we try and continue with a similar system like that. I think McCullough's has shown more than enough in the past few weeks, particularly given Endo's form before he went to the Asia Cup. You'd imagine Endo probably has at least another season in him at this level. I I think it would be very, very harsh to to think about bringing in a, a Fabinho-like, uh, a 50, 60 million pound, pound man, uh, number six, pure kind of destroyer type. Because... We've seen McAllister doing that, and we've seen him doing it in big games. The Arsenal game didn't go how we wanted at all the other day, but I thought he was our standout performer on the day. Um, he's been fantastic. He was just genius in the Chelsea game. He was one of the main reasons why I think we ran the game. I think it's very, very harsh to, to start thinking about taking him out. And obviously, we have to see what happens for the rest of the season, but I don't see any reason why he can't establish himself as, as the main man in that position. Having said all of that, I think if you're moving to a, a back three, as Alonso probably would, as De Zerbi might, as you've touched on, those are the two favourites for the job. Then, as you said, De Zerbi's already shown that he wants that extra protection with someone like Caicedo. And I'm not saying we get Caicedo, but that type of player. Uh, same with Alonso. You look at maybe McAllister as, as the Xhaka equivalent in, in his in his team, kind of pushing players on deep line, but but kind of good on the ball and attack-minded paired with, with Ezekiel Palacios is, is, is who they've got as their number six and he's more of a kind of all-action destroyer type. So so the fact that in both of those systems, in both Deserbis and and Alonso's, the fullbacks push so high, you effectively mean you've only got three defenders, which are the three centre-backs and both of those managers appear like they want that extra protection from a destroyer alongside someone who sits and controls the play. And so then it becomes a question of, well, does Trent even get into the team? If it's, it's almost a way up between McAllister and Trent in that respect. And, and I mean, that would drive some people crazy, I'd imagine, but it also probably drive the best performances out of them. So it really just depends, I think, on, on the formation that you're going with and, and the way that you want to set up your play, because it would be very harsh to take McAllister out of this team. But equally, Trent has to be in it, surely. So who knows? We'll find out. Yeah, we, we've been so used to to Klopp for the past um, eight years now, eight, eight and a bit years really, and just the players have had that kind of comfortable continuity with him. And obviously there have been system changes and there have been sacrifices that he's made. But I think it's going to be a shock for, for the fans and the squad just to have kind of that, almost that reset in the summer. And clearly the new manager isn't going to just completely wipe away everything Klopp's done. He's going to try and build on that if, if he's got any sense at all. But, you know, he's going to have his own, like, tactical imprint to put on the squad as well. And I think that we kind of have to brace ourselves for a few sort of shocking changes. I don't think it's going to be wholesale, but the, maybe there are going to be, you know, cases like that. Maybe it is Trent popping up in midfield. Maybe it is kind of that big new 
midfield signing, and then what does that mean for McAllister, Curtis Jones? You know, some of those players who've been really impressive this season, things like that. You know, there's a lot of really tough decisions to be made, and and, and that's why um, we're having this discussion now. And and, and like you touched on, Jamie, it can go so many different ways depending on um, the new manager's plans and stuff. And and I do think that this will be something that you know, if you are Javier Alonso, you do want that Liverpool job. I mean. Surely you'd be as much as you're focused on your own team. Surely you would be, you know, watching Liverpool's games and things like that. It'd be a bit negligent to to not be kind of keeping very closely abreast of, of what's happening. Um, so I wonder if those sort of thought processes will be going on now for the people who want the job. Almost maybe that's me being naive, but I, I would imagine that that's how it's going. But so we've done sort of two, um, two of the players now. The third one I think is probably thinking about it. Maybe the kind of first team player we've discussed the least on this podcast this season because he does fly under the radar a bit um, and that's Cody Gakpo. Now last season it looked like he was going to be sort of the Roberto Firmino successor coming in false nine and just trying to nail down that role but as it turns out this year he's popped up pretty much all over the place. I mean he's been on the left, he's been on the right, he's played in central midfield as well um, I think seven times over the course of the season Um so as much as there's kind of an embarrassment of riches in Liverpool's attack, you've got to kind of fit all the pieces together in the most coherent way. And Gakpo is particularly intriguing with that because he is so versatile, but sometimes that's to his own detriment. So if you were Gakpo, Liam, do, do you think you're kind of looking at this new manager almost as like, obviously, you know, you've achieved a fair bit under Klopp already. You know, he's put up some decent numbers this season, but... Is this new manager potentially a blessing for you in terms of he might actually give you a chance to just focus on one particular role within the team and not kind of put you in a different position every week? Because it must be hard to develop any sort of rhythm when you're jumping all over the place like that. Yeah, um, yeah, I think you're spot on there, David. Um, like we say, I, I admit that when we signed Gakpo first, I thought it was going to be very much as a wide option um, until obviously we saw him join the flight in like that Reno S. Uh, number nine role and uh, that he seemed to thrive in for last season um, and as I say this year it kind of feels like he's a, a jack of all trades and a specialist of none um, like you, you could look at it, I mean you, you, don't you see that the line of graphics from now before kickoff and you can see Gakpo's name in it and you're already kind of trying to guess like almost like look at who else is there and then try and fit okay he's going to be down the middle today or it's going to be Left or, or right, or wherever the case may be. Um, as you say, as as you say, you know, depending on who comes in, depending on what um, your philosophy the the new man wants to go with, you know, that could either, that could work greatly in his favour. That that the replacement sees him as very much a man for one position. That says, right, Cody, this is your job now. Um, you know, and he'd probably try train him up in a specific way to get and get the best out of him in relation to the rest of the team. Um, because the other factor here is probably the one, <coughs> maybe a bit of an elephant in the room that we might necessarily want to discuss as Liverpool fans. But I suppose there is still that possibility in the background that by the time the end of twenty twenty four comes around a certain number 11 is no longer at Hanfield and if that is to be the case well obviously that creates uh, a void on the right hand side of attack 
could that be Gakpo's position under the new manager? Just if if it if it's the case that you know that maybe we do cash in on on Mo Salah or that he does decide that the time is right for a new challenge elsewhere, like that's going to create one hell of a void in the team. It was probably a deeper discussion for another day, but just at a, was at, at a surface level in terms of the purely you know, positions on the pitch, perhaps that could be the role Gakpo slips into. Again, that is dependent on 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 circumstance. So um. Yeah, it's again like like we, like we've touched upon already. Not and could depend on you know several different factors. But I do feel that as as to go back to your original point that maybe he might welcome the new manager almost saying to him, right, Cody, this is your role. Um, you know, we get we'll have preseason just to get you fully kind of brought up to speed as to what I want you to do within the team. And as you say, perhaps that might get like. The real best out of Cody Gakpo, um, Joe, who maybe at this season has had quite a few games which have passed him by. Like Sunday was a prime example of that, where he just didn't seem to be involved at all. Um, but there is definitely a player, a player in there, um, which bit, bit of untapped potential. So yeah, I think that's definitely going to be an interesting one to see what where he lines up. Yeah, I mean, we've watched Klopp basically build his entire success at Liverpool on his ability to improve players and get the absolute most out of them. So it's going to be very intriguing to see whether anybody in the squad sort of takes a leap post-Klopp in terms of being used in a way that maybe brings out more in them. Because it kind of seems like um, offensive to Klopp now to say that someone might actually benefit from him not being there or benefit from working under a different manager, but it's obviously conceivable that that would still happen, even though Klopp has this incredible track record when it comes to improving the players at his disposal. But, you know, on Gakpo, Jamie, I think, you know, Liam mentions uh, Salah being a key factor. I think Darwin Nunez as well. Like, I think Klopp has shown impeccable patience with Nunez. I mean, like we've said so many times, you know, the numbers in terms of, Goals and assists per 90 minutes actually look quite good. But there's still an element of huge frustration for a fan and, and for a coach seeing the amount of opportunities he wastes. And he's had obviously some really difficult moments where Klopp stood by him. So a lot's going to depend on, you know, how much patience um, a new manager has as well, whether they see sort of Nunez as this kind of untapped explosive weapon as well. But the question I want to ask you is like, we've seen a year of Cody Gakpo now. Do you think that he's just kind of destined to be this almost attacking utility player for Liverpool in his career? Or have you kind of seen one role where you think, do you know what, let's stop kind of messing him, messing him about, throwing him all over the place. Let's make sure every time he plays, virtually every time he's in this position and he has a chance to kind of show us what he can do there. I fear, I fear that he might be the, the utility player. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. And I think it's great for his squad to have. But I just mean for him himself. I'd imagine that's quite frustrating. Um, I think there were moments, certainly certainly last season, where it felt like, oh, this is the Bobby replacement. This is this is Firmino all over. Um, and those were really encouraging. But it does feel like the way that that the game is moving now is we're almost kind of going back to these these physical, strong, quick number nines that that five years ago, seven, eight years ago, you would have felt were kind of a thing of the past. I mean, the obvious the obvious one is, is Erling Haaland at Manchester City. Darwin Nunez is a big example. Victor Osimhen. This seems to be the way that that, that, that 
the way the game is going right now. And I, even if you look at maybe some of the potential managers who 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 might come and take over, you've got Alonso. His, his go-to guys are, are Boniface and and Schick. They're both very physical, very very kind of uh, physically gifted strikers. Uh, the same is is the case at, at Brighton with 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 uh, Zerbi. You've got Evan Ferguson who looks set to have a kind of a very very strong career as a, as a big physical number nine so that does seem to be the way that the game is going right now and it's almost like if if Gakpo had been five years older perhaps and and was breaking through five years ago he might have been able to make more of a career in in the position like Roberto Firmino did where he's kind of dropping deep bringing people into play there is the potential you, you met perhaps given that he he himself is he's a, he's a big guy he, do, he doesn't look particularly slow that he could be kind of converted into one of those players uh but that seems to be something that would take place at a club that's not liverpool given just the 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 the, the pressure that's on every single game and the, and the desire to win every single game so you'd imagine that whoever comes in is is going to kind of stick with with darwin nunez in that position perhaps you'd see him drop into maybe one of the, the wing positions. I know he was big on the left for, for PSV. Um, maybe a number 10, like he's played for for the Netherlands. But the fact that I'm bringing up all these positions and they're all possibilities suggests to me that, that he will kind of continue while he's at Liverpool to be a, a utility player in, in, in the attack. Yeah, and you mentioned there, um, and we talked a little bit about players who might go and stuff. And one feature of Klopp's tenure has been pretty much that nobody has kind of no sort of expensive player has sort of been put up for sale. If that makes sense, like the players, you know, even even Cater and Oxley Chamberlain when they went, it was just that you know their contracts were running down. Fabinho and Henderson, I think both would have stayed, um, unless you know. But it was the fact that they asked to leave. Um, is that just a consequence of sort of the FSG model and you can't do what maybe a team like Chelsea do and just keep throwing money at the same positions until it sticks, basically? Or could we see a new manager who maybe doesn't have the same patience or whatever whatever way you want to frame it and is willing to maybe you know cash in on players and, and reinvest that money elsewhere? Is that going to be a kind of change of philosophy as well? You know, we've got these five attackers vying for three positions, you know, is there a guarantee that they're all still going to be at the club in 12 months' time? You know, maybe not. You know, unexpected things happen in football. So there is just this endless array of possibilities and we've only kind of touched on a few of them here, but I think it's good to kind of just consider the extensive, the change that we're about to see and maybe brace ourselves for it a little bit in advance. But we will leave it there for today's podcast. Thanks to Liam and JB for jumping on and thanks very much everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please give us a five-star review. We've got all our relevant links in the episode description as well, including our Twitter usernames and our email address. So make sure um, you look at those too. And we'll be back with our next episode um, after the game against Burnley at the weekend. We'll look to return to winning ways in the Premier League. So we will see you then.